It's lovely to be back with you. Uh, mm, a lot of churches have kind of different people uh, every Sunday. So uh, my name's Megan and uh, I am uh, a chaplain at Ivanhoe Girls Grammar at the moment and have been uh, working in this Anglican ministry business for about 11 years now. Uh, last week, if you weren't here, uh, this is something that you need to know. And um, I didn't uh, show it to you, but I just described it last week. Uh, anyone know what this is? It is the rabbit leash. So I brought it to show you that uh, my hyperbole was, was true. Uh, we did give Phoebe two of these rabbit leads. And if you want to know why we talked about them, then uh, you'll have to listen online at some point. Uh, thanks, Peter, for having me, and thanks for trusting me while you're away. And I think you'll find that um, people are very much agreeable with your leadership since last week. <laughs> yeah. Someone's laughing. <laughs> that was your sister. Yeah. Well, uh, I think I said last week, too, that one of my superpowers is, um, is listening to books rather than reading them. And uh, a corollary to that is the uh, superpower that I have that many of you might have, which is uh, to see a title of a book and to be like, yeah, that, that's what I need to know, to possibly buy the book and then just absorb the material through reading the title on the shelf. Uh, anyone else got that superpower? Or having a pile of titles that you wish to absorb their goodness? Uh, yeah. One such title, which I hope to add, uh, is a recent work by Larry Hurtado, which is, uh, why on earth would anyone become a Christian in the first three centuries of the Christian era? So why on earth did anyone become a Christian in the first th three centuries uh, is his book. And uh, to me, that is uh, a fantastic question that I need to know right now. Because this week, well, we've had the results of the census and uh, we're losing our religion. It's probably pretty much exactly what it was. People just aren't ticking the same boxes as they were. But certainly we know that people uh, aren't in church in the same way that they were. Uh, we also have seen an escalation in the Royal Commission and the police bringing criminal charges uh, against Cardinal Pell. And it is a difficult time to consider why on earth anyone would become a Christian. Larry Hurtado says, uh, and you'll be glad to know that even though I haven't bought the book, I have kind of looked into what he says. Uh, Larry, Hurtado, Larry Hurtado says that um, part of the reason why people became a Christian in the first three centuries, uh, when there were many disincentives for that, just like today, where it was socially uh, and politically poor form. In fact, uh, you were uh, really marginalised if you became a Christian. 
One of the reasons is because of the Christian community. And uh, you've probably heard this before. But the, the Christian community and the way in which they related to each other uh, was so radical and attractive, albeit costly, that there was a very great incentive for people to trust the Lord Jesus because they could see that out of this trust came a community which uh, cared for the poor, whose use of money extended beyond their usual family or ethnic or demographic or class kind of obligations, who we know had certain views uh, about kind of the importance and sacredness of life and so would rescue infants who were uh, being... Uh, exposed was the term, so were kind of being killed uh, through exposure. And of course, uh, there was the commitment to one another for forgiveness, for restoration, reconciliation, for boundaries to be continually broken down for non-retaliation and peaceableness. And so this community, which I guess we could sum up as a community of love, was one which provided a, a very profound reason for people to explore and continue in their faith despite the many reasons against when we come to the book of Hebrews, and it's just fantastic uh, that uh, you guys have been going through Hebrews 13 because really uh, each of the exhortations there are so relevant to our life in Australia today. The first thing that he says, uh, which kind of covers all of these in many ways, is keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Uh, another one of the books that I uh, am hoping will absorb into me is uh, Living into Community by Christine Pohl. And uh, she, in it, speaks of four practices which build up communities, and particularly Christian communities. And they are hospitality, which I know you've already covered. Uh, they are truth-telling, promise-keeping, and gratitude. And I, I commend that book to you in investigating how they might work out in Mary Creek. But what the author to the Hebrews would say is that practices actually stem from an identity, a new identity as family, as brothers and sisters that you have. This is not actually rhetorical strategy or uh, an emotional kind of metaphor or illustration, and it takes one to know one. This is actually, for him, theological truth. This is our identity. And we know that because in chapter 2 of Hebrews, he does some 
really interesting reading of the Old Testament to talk about us as God's children and Jesus as our brother. So he says, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. That's Jesus. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. So that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Here, not only is the writer to the Hebrews saying we are God's children by virtue of creation, he's saying we are God's children by virtue of being the brothers and sisters of the Messiah, God's son. So in those two readings, he says, I declare your name to my brothers and sisters. That's from Psalm 22. And I wonder if that rings any bells for you in its usage uh, in the crucifixion narrative Jesus says my God my God why have you forsaken me and that is the beginning of Psalm 22 and for the early Christians of course that meant that they should explore and investigate the entire Psalm 22 as speaking to them out of the Messiah's heart and so when towards the end of Psalm 22 it says I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters as this victory after the cross and resurrection of the Messiah, the author to the Hebrews would say, we are somehow caught up, not simply as we're all God's children by virtue of being made by him, but we are now suddenly God's children and Jesus' brothers and sisters. We are family and siblings the second two readings come from Isaiah 8, and it is, a, an, again, another messianic uh, passage that the early church must have used because it talks about um, God putting a stumbling stone in front of uh, the Jewish nation for them to either fall or kind of come to him. And so when then the prophet would say, here am I and the children you have given me, uh, they would read that again as something from the Messiah's heart. Someone needs to do a PhD on that. They probably already have. Uh, but uh, if not, maybe one day, Pete, you and I, yeah. Paul. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> this is not a rhetorical strategy. This is our identity. And so any practices that we do that build community, our hospitality, our forgiveness, our honouring of marriage, all of these things come from an identity that we are brothers and sisters bound together by God the Father and our big brother, Jesus Christ. For me... Hebrews 2 and uh, Hebrews 13 have been 
so profound uh, because they tell me that there are no only children in the church. Uh, Phoebe is an only child and um, uh, we found that kind of difficult at times. You know, there are medical reasons why she is. Um, but for me, and I tell her this, she has many brothers and sisters, and she always will. And those of us who live far apart from our brothers and sisters, those of us who have no brothers and sisters, those of us who have lost siblings to death, we are not alone. We are never an only child in the family of God. And we are never without someone to call on. Because really, when it comes down to it, that's what being a brother or a sister ultimately means. We can talk about being kind. We can talk about sharing. But it's family that you fall back on. When Phil and I found ourselves uh, in Paris at the end of a kind of long overseas journey for his work uh, and um, uh, realised that we didn't actually have any money <laughs> to pay our hotel bill because back in Australia uh, an un, uh, unplanned for mortgage payment had come out, uh, thousands whatever, uh, we were <clears throat> pretty concerned. And in the middle of the night, over there, what did we have to do but call on family? And so my sister, God bless her, uh, lent us some money, transferred us some money. It's good to call on siblings because sometimes parents don't know how to get it into the bank account kind of <laughs> quickly enough. Um, lent us the money and we were able to kind of hold our heads high <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, eat the croissants and, and leave without concern. But when you have siblings in the family of God, you're never without someone to call. You're never without someone to fall back on. You're never without someone to help you up. You're never without someone to encourage you, to stand by you. They might not like everything you say and do all the time. That's pretty standard sibling practice. But they come through for you. So uh, the book of Hebrews describes the way in which that community were doing that. Obviously, in chapter 13, already we've heard him say, do good, share with those in need. In chapter 6, he talks about how they are helping one another. Almost a throwaway line, but something that is known to him outside the community as well as inside. In chapter 10, he talks about their solidarity, and we talked about this uh, last week their solidarity with those who were being persecuted, standing with those who had their property confiscated, those who were in prison. And that solidarity was not simply saying, oh, we're with you. 
If someone has their property confiscated and you're standing with them, you're sharing what you have. And of course, he talks about their role encouraging one another spiritually, meeting together. He says in chapter 3, so that you might not let yourselves be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Encourage one another, brothers and sisters. Be there. Help one another. Be the person someone else can call on. Last week when I parked my car uh, outside the primary school. I like to get to wherever I'm preaching a bit early, find a coffee shop. Mm, Often the first one's not a good choice. This was the case last week. I won't name it, but uh, it was pretty close. Uh, And um, I just, you know, like to kind of get a feel for the place, make a few extra notes, a lot of main notes. And... I watch people coming in to the site. And last week, uh, there was a family who have, uh, oh, they were handing out the the booklets today. And um, they have a little boy and an older girl. So the little boy, well, he must be about 18 months old, and the little girl, I don't know, three, uh, wandering around at the back there. Yep, was that about right? Yep, yep. And uh, uh, I don't know how long the little boy has been walking for, but uh, he was kind of toddling in behind the rest of the family and, um, uh, you know, was about, I don't know, almost near the gate and they were almost near the school. And instead of kind of saying, come on, the the dad or the mum running back, um, they stopped and they turned and they kind of said, come on. And the sister ran back to the little boy and took him and brought him back up to the family. And I just sat there and they were delighted and they were kind of videoing it as we do or whatever it was you were doing. Um, You're like, oh my gosh, I'm just being spied on. Um, The picture was so profound to me of what the book of Hebrews is really talking about when it talks about loving each other as Christian siblings. The picture is of our father, our parent God, calling us on, and we're following. Some of us are stumbling. Some of us are toddling. And... We fall behind, life gets us down, something sticks in our mind as a question that we haven't got a good answer to and it starts to eat away at our confidence in God or in his word. The bank balance is too big or too small, we feel lonely. We look around and know (laughs) It's hard to be a Christian. We fall behind. And the love that is to be shown to us is not simply the father running back and pulling us, but in fact it is one of our siblings 
The design of the Father is that one of our siblings will come and take us by the hand. In fact, you know, it's probably easier in some ways because they were like the right height. <laughs> and they say, come on, come on, and they pull us along back to the Father, back to the family of God. And the father looks on, the parents look on, so delighted. And that is exactly the picture that Hebrews gives us too. It is costly for us to be loving as brothers and sisters. We've got to go back. We've got to pull people with us. But it is essential for our love of God. It is essential for our worship and sacrifice. We read that in chapter 13. Do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. And in chapter 6 that I referred to before about that throwaway line about helping people, God is not unjust. I want you to listen to this. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. He doesn't say, the writer doesn't say, the love you have shown other people as you have helped them and continue to help them. The love you have shown God as you have helped his people as you have been the sibling that would go back and say, come on, come on and pull the little one with you back to the Father. One of the things uh, I learnt from an early mentor, and, uh, and maybe Peter's learnt this too, is that uh, it's always better to be right than original. And so I unashamedly steal other people's wisdom. And so that wisdom uh, that always stays with me and that I share with you today is the paradox of Christian community where we just simply cannot seem to agree on so many things. Why would God make it that way when he's calling us to such unity and the scripture seems to be open to so much interpretation? And we are just such different personalities. Like, why do we like such different music? Why do we, you know, prefer different ways of doing uh, the greeting of the peace? Why do some of us hate that? Why do some of us love that? Why? Because God designs our community so that we have to work to love one another. You agree on everything, you don't have to really love one another. You find it easy to be together, you don't really have to love one another. You don't really have to go out of your way to bring the other person with you. Or you don't have to humble yourself to accept the help of another. You don't have to give over your preferences, your pride if you agree on everything, if the community is easy. And so why on earth would anyone become a Christian in the 21st century? 
because the Lord Jesus has created brothers and sisters who love because of their identity and who love because it shapes their community and who can reach out to others because they've always got someone to call. Amen.